1: News Podcast presents Brett Bears All-Star Panel. America's
2: got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to leave. The morning is over. The shiva
1: is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is
3: making sure that it delivers for the American people.
2: Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Bay.
1: Senate lawmakers voted last week to approve a short term increase or extension to the federal debt ceiling, essentially punting it to December, finally, at least temporarily ending the standoff on Capitol Hill again until December, the next fiscal cliff. This increase also is enough to fund the government through at least early December separately. So you have two tracks that will go head to head again happening in December. After that vote to extend the debt ceiling, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer blasted Republicans.
2: Republicans played a dangerous and risky partisan game, and I am glad that their brinksmanship did not work.
1: In response, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell informed President Biden that he and other Republican senators will not vote to raise the debt ceiling in December should Democrats face another avoidable crisis. For this and more, we'll bring in our panel, member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, Bill McGurn, USA Today, Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page, and Fox News White House correspondent Jackie Heinrich. Thanks for being here. Jackie, You know, this standoff was something to watch, but now we're going to have to watch it again as another fiscal cliff shows up in December.
3: And no kidding, Brett. And I think the person who is uh, most disappointed watching was probably Senator Joe Manchin, who you could see behind Schumer uh, after the Republicans got enough votes to overcome the filibuster and stave off this crisis behind Chuck Schumer with his head in his hands as Schumer assailed Republicans uh, for letting it get to this point. It was, you know, sort of an interesting uh, choice that Schumer made to, rather than express any sort of gratitude for toward Mitch McConnell for, you know, getting to this agreement to, you know, rail against Republicans for what he was calling an avoidable crisis. Uh, The whole reason that uh, Republicans ended up sort of backing off their initial pledge not to help Democrats in aiding, raising the debt ceiling was because there was a threat that there might be a change to the filibuster if they obstructed this. And McConnell was talking to Manchin. He was talking to Cinema, and you know saying, look, we're, we will get this done for you guys. You say you needed more time to do reconciliation. This allows you more time, uh, but I'm not going to help you again. And he said as much in his letter to the president, uh, pretty angry at that whole display.
1: Susan, um, it was an interesting display from, from Senator Schumer, and obviously this is all politics and kind of setting up the next battle. Uh, but it is such a slim majority that, you know, one misstep, I don't think Senator Manchin is going to step over and become a Republican. He hasn't said that or Kirsten Cinema, or other moderates, but it is just one person doing that and it becomes Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell.
0: Yeah, And it's perplexing because it's hard to see what Schumer gained from giving a speech with that tone. It was a moment when not really a victory, really a very interim temporary victory, but it was a moment, right? It was perhaps a moment to be uh, a little maybe uh, to thank the Republicans, to thank Mitch McConnell for throwing a lifeline to Democrats, even though it's a temporary one. So I think it, it, it's hard for me to see what the tactical thinking was behind giving that speech on the floor of the Senate. And it certainly has had some repercussions that are not helpful for Democrats in the White House or on Capitol Hill.
1: Bill, let, let me just talk broadly 30,000 feet about the state of the economy. Now, what I hear from business owners is it's tough to get people to work. What I hear from families as I bounce around or talk to people, social media and other places, is it's costing more day to day gas and groceries. And there's concern about inflation. Where, where do we think this is at this moment, the economy?
2: Uh, well, Brad, I think, uh, I think everyone sees this. I mean, I just went out for a bag of groceries this morning. It was $65. You know, even my children notice that the gas pump, the prices are rising. You know, if I knew, if I knew where it was going, I'd be betting the market accordingly. And I'd be relaxing six months from now in Bermuda or something, you know, having amassed my millions. We don't know, but we do know that all these things like inflation that we were told would be temporary um, look like they're a little more than temporary. And the, this is these things are coming particularly i'm speaking of inflation as as the um, congress is considering a, you know roughly 5 trillion in spending and we're told it has no costs and will have no inflationary aspects so i do wonder about the threat to President Biden are presiding over an economy that where people feel prices are are rising and their paychecks diminishing um, and just opportunities shrinking. And uh, I think if anyone needs economic growth, I mean, all presidents need it. But Joe Biden, if he's going to get past Afghanistan, the border, COVID and stuff, he really needs a healthy economy growing. And I, I think, unfortunately, we have nothing um, in the works at pointing in that direction.
1: When he came out, Jackie, and said that unemployment rate was low and staying low, I mean, that's in part because a lot of people have left the job market. Um, but what about this White House and its realization of where we are in this moment? I know they've said that they're monitoring gas and oil prices, um, but they spent a lot of time on the talking point that, that the legislation not going to cost anything, uh, which was a lot yeah. of pushback to that.
3: You know, they often will use whatever the headline of the day is as a, you know, sort of claim that this is cause to pass the legislation that the president wants to get through, that the uh, disappointing jobs report was making the case that we need to pass the hard infrastructure bill and the the reconciliation deal, the families uh, spending to get people, you know, back into the workforce. They find a way to sort of Get every piece of his, um, you know, campaign that he has that he stumped on on the trail, and that he's you know put forward to Congress into every time he speaks on these issues when he's questioned about sort of the, the tough dynamics that he's faced over the last month. Uh, that being said, we're not seeing that same kind of action here. I mean, the, the president today uh, was at a wedding for his nephew who's getting married to a cast member or a former cast member from the Real Housewives. Last week he met with uh, Joe Manchin one time. We haven't heard any sort of news out of talks with cinema, whether they've even happened at all. Meanwhile, we're two weeks past the last time that the the deadline came and went to try to get this thing through. The de facto new deadline is the end of this month when the uh, extension expires for the hard infrastructure funding and we're really no closer to any resolution here in fact people democrats are going on tv and you know being very loud with their claims and and their claims are not conciliatory at all they're they're saying you know we need the moon sun and stars or or nothing and pointing fingers at the other side for being at fault for it not having happened yet
0: yeah
1: susan i you know a lot of people Um, In the real world, don't they glaze over uh, sometimes at Washington process, um, especially now with Washington numbers? I mean, one trillion, two trillion. Uh, But this battle between progressives and moderates seems to have had a uh, another effect on this administration and this president. And maybe it's affecting his poll numbers
0: as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the trouble for the White House is that. The clock is ticking. Big things are not getting done. The president's job approval rating is falling. And this is not a helpful cycle for them to be in. And they know they don't have much time to get their act together. They need to uh, get the, two, the liberals and moderates together on passing on this deal to pass both the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the big reconciliation bill. And and maybe they will, but it's taking longer than they thought. And it's proved to be more divisive, angrier than they thought. The only the only good news for Democrats is that they all agree it would be catastrophic to fail. And that may, at the end of the day, provide the impetus they need for both sides to make the compromises that would be necessary to get a deal. But it but it hasn't happened yet. And we're heading later in the year and heading toward uh, an election in Virginia that's seen as a bellwether, a governor's election in in Virginia on November 2nd that's seen as a bellwether. And then we are going to be heading right into those midterms next year uh, that Democrats are already pessimistic about.
1: Yeah, guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this
2: jason in the house the jason chaffetz podcast dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as i take on american life politics and entertainment subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts
1: speaking of virginia you have terry McAuliffe, the former governor who's now the gubernatorial candidate for the democrats saying one that 3.5 trillion is too big, way too big in his words, and two, that the president, President Biden, is underwater when it comes to the polls. And he's mentioned that a couple of times. Um, Bill, that's should tell you something in a bluish, purplish state.
2: Yes, it tells you that they're in a fix, you know, most of the time people want to be with their president. You know, when you're when they're struggling, they bring the president in. It's a pretty awesome thing to have a president in to come back you and so forth. But, you know, as Terry McAuliffe says, as Joe Biden drops in the polls, it's not so clear that this is a big plus for him. You know, I'm old enough. When I was in the Bush White House, there was a point where his approval rating was so low, largely because of Iraq and then later um, Katrina before the surge, where we would pull things and find people are in favor of it. But then we found if President Bush were known to be in favor of it, they would oppose it. So at some points, you know, your endorsement Um, can have the opposite effect. And that's the danger for a lot of Democrats now. And I think that it's not just Terry McAuliffe. Think of it. If you're a, a House member in a swing district, the moderates, you know, a lot of the moderates, the difference between the moderates and the progressives is that by and large, the moderates may lose their seats as punishment for voting for this big tax and spending bill. The progressives are probably most of them are pretty safe no matter what happens. So they're being told to take a tough vote. Uh, that may cost them their seats and then they have a president that's unpopular. That's you know, that's a really hard thing to ask them. The the more uh, President Biden sinks in the polls, the harder it is to persuade those people to come over. I mean, it, would, it was a d- very different story six months ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love all of the progressive push. You know, we're going to take Manchin out <laughs> in West Virginia. Um, good luck with that. Uh, first of all, he's not up for reelection this next time. And number two. I'm not sure the progressive pitch in West Virginia that voted overwhelmingly for Donald Trump is going to is going to uh, sell. Jackie, what's the mood there at the White House? I mean, is there a battle front kind of, you know, gear gearing for this battle? And Jen Psaki is facing not just from you and Peter Ducey, but increasingly more pointed questions from the media in the the briefing room. Um, What is the sense over there?
3: Well, there's definitely a, a lot of question marks. I mean, there was a, a push for the president to get more involved in these negotiations even before the last deadline came and went. That was the, uh, the, the vote that Pelosi had scheduled for the bipartisan hard infrastructure bill because the moderates who wanted that to be voted on on its merits delinked from the reconciliation package said, you know, at that point, especially the president needs a win This so is sitting in front of him. Why doesn't he just get it done? And the closer we get to the midterms, it's going to be more difficult to get anyone, you know, t- to sort of make a compromise here. Um, but there didn't seem to be a whole lot of involvement either from the White House until that deadline was really right up in front of them. And it seems like that is happening all over again.
1: And Susan, uh, you know, where do you see the bright spots for the administration? I, I see that when they get backed into a corner sometimes on different policy issues, they talk about the previous administration. Um, they bring up the what is yet to be the January 6th uh, committee hearing. All of that is consequential about decisions that were made and uh, the significance of January 6th. But on the substance of those big issues, where where is their bright spot?
0: Well, here's the optimist case that some officials in the White House and in the Democratic Party make. And that is, number one, presidencies go up and down. It's never a straight line. This is a a tough patch for Joe Biden. They argue it's not the, the end. They argue that, number one, if the pandemic gets under better control, that's job one for Joe Biden. It's the biggest reason he was elected, and it'll help the economy. And if they get this this these two bills through Congress by the end of the year, that will be the heart of his domestic agenda and a huge achievement, a big legacy-making achievement. The trouble is that those are big what-ifs if you can get the pandemic under control, if you can get these bills passed. But they argue that they're on a path to do that and that things will look much brighter at the beginning of next year. I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah. And Bill, lastly, on foreign policy, obviously, Afghanistan is um, really still sticking out there as we are still trying to get Americans out of Afghanistan and allies of American forces Um, that that's happening every day, even though it's not on the front pages. But China seems to be looming large and and Biden China policy is not sending out a lot of confident, uh, you know, markers.
2: Right. If you were in Taiwan now, you'd be quite scared. Uh, President Xi is making clear he wants reunification in his time. He said, I think that he doesn't want to pass it off to the next generation. So China is going to be increasingly belligerent. You know, I think a lot of the foreign readers are reading joe biden they look at afghanistan they look at the border and what do they see they see weakness you know and my question is would china be sending all those planes into taiwan airspace if we hadn't uh, if if president biden had been stronger in afghanistan or we hadn't seen the the problem at the border you know maybe but maybe not it doesn't it doesn't help him and again he's doing this um I think Susan mentioned earlier, she's quite right, that the Democrats understand if he loses the reconciliation and infrastructure bills, it's a huge political defeat. What I don't think they've appreciated is I believe if they pass these bills that down the road, it's going to hurt the economy. And that may be as big a problem, you know, going into next year in the midterms as if it had been defeated. I'm not sure it's going to really benefit because I don't see any growth oriented aspect to what he's trying to do. And I don't see. And this comes at the same time. I don't think people see a coherent foreign policy. I mean, it seems to be geared to getting China um, to sign on to our climate agenda. But China's doing a lot of bad things and it doesn't look like um, it's very intimidated by Washington.
1: Well, we will follow it all. Uh, Thank you. Here's a bit of presidential trivia and history. On October 17th, 1871, President Ulysses S. Grant suspended habeas corpus in several South Carolina counties in response to the rise of the Ku Klux Klan activities in that state. The writ had been suspended during the Civil War a decade earlier under Grant's old boss, President Abraham Lincoln. I know a little bit about that because I've got this book coming out on Tuesday, To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union, and the Crisis of 1876. You can get it wherever books are sold. For that, that'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Bill, Susan, and Jackie, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.